Welcome to... Welcome to The Next Space with Alan Joe. We are broadcasting via Blog Talk Radio tonight. This is WAD Media's program about manned spaceflight news. We come to you every Sunday night at 7 p.m., bringing you the week's highlights in news related to manned spaceflight. Join us in the conversation tonight. The number is 714-242-5145. That's 714-242-5145. Now, during the show, what we do is for the links so that you can follow along as we touch base with each news item, we'll put the link into the chat window. And you can follow along and check out the, uh, the link on your own in your browser and so forth. And follow along and check out what we're talking about. We do this so that you know where we get our information from. Sometimes uh, where we've had the opportunity, we try and do more than one link, but usually we get the one link that we have found over the course of the week. It's a, it's a daunting task to find all of these. You enjoy the show? And we're going to get started here with, just, uh, with our, our first item of business today which was interesting in that um, just uh, Friday, uh, Buzz Aldrin, Elon Musk were scheduled to speak at the MIT conference. Uh, there should be a link. We uh, let me get it out here. Now this is interesting because, as I as I recall, I think this is one of the very first times that these two men have appeared on the same. Each of them are going to be talking about different things. Uh, MIT is hosting the Aero Astro at 100 Conference in Cambridge, Massachusetts, from Wednesday, was hosting from Wednesday to Friday this week. Now, you can watch it online. Uh, they did do the live webcast. Some highlights of the event include Apollo 11 astronauts, Buzz Aldrin, Michael Collins, and um, innovators from all sides of the aerospace industry discussing satellites, future flight, and Musk will take part in or took part in a one-on-one interview on Friday. So check that check that out through the link. I'm sure they've got uh, links to the live uh, action things that are indeed going on. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit tonight as we move through the items. The list is bouncing around before I even... All right, now, coming up, we had the wonderful news that SpaceX Dragon cargo craft was released from the ISS this week. I believe it was like Wednesday or Thursday. And the attempt to recover the booster on the next cargo launch in December. Now, SpaceX will attempt to land a Falcon 9 rocket booster 
not on the roving water this time. We're actually going to have a platform the size of a football field. Now, the article talks about the platform is being built in Louisiana Shipyard, measures roughly, said during a talk at the MIT session that we talked about a few moments ago, which was streamed online. Now, in addition, this is just the beginning of SpaceX plans, because in another article, they talk about the next step of what they want to do, which is to actually begin reusing these boosters on a regular basis. Now, Mr. Musk uh, talks about that next year, SpaceX should demonstrate the ability to reuse one of the something that could reduce the cost of getting to space by a factor of the current estimates is about 10. Now, the idea of reusing spacecraft isn't new, but if SpaceX were to land and reuse one of its rockets, it would be a first and would make the second launch considerably cheaper. The company has struggled to make the landings work in several experiments, though, and Musk says the procedure may not work reliably for some time. Now, this is this is the same man who said that they didn't expect their uh, booster recovery to be uh, successful, and yet their last two cargo launches where they did attempt booster recovery were reasonably successful. They had the, the landing leg deployed, the supersonic to uh, subsonic transition, and the booster then did indeed, according to the camera videos that we've seen uh, on two of these recoveries, did indeed slow down to a stop just above the ocean waves and then toppled when the engine ran out of fuel. So uh, I, I think that uh, Elon Musk is definitely, uh, definitely kind of, in a lot of ways. He's what? But even so, we're looking at a guy who really underplays potential results, and yet, you know, you should all in business really, you should always underestimate, tell them an underestimated number. So that way, you look brilliant, and you actually over. Well, and I would agree with that. And there's a lot to be said for the way that Elon Musk and SpaceX have proceeded forward on these things because they do. They, they play down the potential for success, and then when they do succeed, they look, they, they look brilliant, and they get successful. But we, we're, we're learning, however, that generally when Elon Musk sets out to do something, he gets it done. What was that, what was that guy on, on Cable Guy? I always had that catchphrase, get her done. You remember that, the Cable Guy? The other guy. I forget. There were two or three of them out there. Guys. Either way. Get her done. Get her done. Get her done. And, and Mr. Elon Musk does the job. He gets it done. Now, on that same note, this week, CRS-4, their next cargo launch, actually left the space station. And splashed down um, a few hundred miles west of Baja, California, Mexico, marking the end of the company's fourth contracted cargo resupply mission to the ISS. 
Now, spacecraft returned with 3,276 pounds of cargo, science samples. A boat will take the Dragon spacecraft to a port near L.A. where some cargo will be removed and returned to NASA within 48 hours. Dragon will then be prepared for a return journey to SpaceX test facility McGregor processing. So, you know, SpaceX is doing a boatload of stuff, and they are really uh, getting, making some wonderful progress. And when we look back at uh, starting with the Falcon 1, which was really troubled in its early launch, they then moved forward with the Falcon 9 and started seeing some successes. They then uh, got into the contract for commercial cargo with the ISS and, and NASA. That, I'm going to say, just, yeah, I mean, it looks like a success. I mean, four actual uh, cargo deliveries to the ISS and cargo return cargo down to Earth. The Soyuz is the only other craft that they, they can return stuff to Earth, and even then they can only return a little bit because they've got to return a little bit. Well, the Soyuz craft is designed to carry astronauts. It's not designed to carry cargo, at least not very much. So there's small stuff that you can bring back with the astronauts, and the astronauts come back on the Soyuz. The Dragon's the only craft designed to carry a couple thousand pounds worth of cargo coming back to Earth. Makes you wonder what the plan to bring it back. <laughs> well, it won't crash. <laughs> Oh, man, just had a thought there. Going back to the other night, we were having a conversation. I do not know how it started. Do you remember how that started I about the space brownies? Here. Space oh, brownies. Oh, that was yesterday. <laughs> we're not going to go there, are we? <laughs> I said something about how composting toilets. Were you talking about composting toilets? And I, I said, well, it's well, in, in the early years, <laughs> in the early years, as I understood it, the ISS basically dumped most of that, most of their human waste overboard. You got all this brownies. Well, urine will usually dissipate. Right, the brownies eventually will after flights. Well, we we were leaving brown racing stripes we all over South. <laughs>
were held at the National Press Club and features and panels. Government industry views. The challenges that we face is, is we're already putting a lot of government satellites and so forth around multiple uh, planets and solar systems, a lot of moons. We're taking loads and loads of pictures, but we're also already starting to clutter up the space around each of the planets, just like we clutter it up the space around Earth. So the challenges we face as private industry gets into the act is going to be who's going to have the right to do what in the private sector, and how are they going to protect those rights against the willy-nilly stuff that's going to happen in space as stuff gets junky up there. You don't want to know. That'd be like that'd be like space brownie. You really want to talk about space brownie again? Anything 
for space in this kind of volume. Um, I, I don't think ULA builds stuff in this kind of volume ever. I mean, they, they build one-off launches. SpaceX is prepping here to to do multiple launches. I mean, they're cranking it. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. We'll leave that one alone. Um, he knows where it is going. Right. Once produced, the engines are then shipped to the development facility for SpaceX in McGregor, Texas, for testing. Once tested, they're then shipped back to California for integration of the Falcon 9 first stage OctaWeb and infrastructure. The completed first stage is then shipped back to Texas for test firing of all nine at once. Then the first stage is then shipped to the launch site for final testing as part of a full system test before launch. To date, 80 Merlin 1Bs have been launched, exceeding the propulsion heritage of the RS-6868A engine flown on the Delta and the RD-180 engine 55 flown on Atmos variant. The 100th Merlin 1B is slated to pin 9 in early 2015. So, man, Falcon 9 is just pushing the envelope everywhere. So we got we got some. They they are just literally. They're not just pushing the envelope. They are pushing the limit for rockets and everything everywhere. Um, going across the pond to Ariane Space in Europe, the, uh, what is this, 9, 10, 15, can't move, I don't know what this is. Okay, the European IXV space planes fit process is now complete um, ahead of its Vega launch. Europe's intermediate experimental vehicle, IXV space plane, put in another step in its pre-launch checkout process and now be ready for fueling ahead of the November 18th flight with Ariane Lightweight Vega. This activity, which included the IXV spit check on the adapter that will serve as its interface with the Vega launcher, occurred inside the spaceport's S1B cleaning facility. Once completed, space plane was moved to the S5B integration and fueling hall of the spaceport's S5 Payload preparation. Well, they got a thing for that. Okay. Man. <laughs> Where the thought will be loaded. Well, uh, that's true. So, ch again, check out the article. There's a couple of uh, follow up links at the bottom. Uh, everybody in the industry is pushing the limits and exploring what they can do. Now, here's a new one for you. Somebody ran across an article that talked about Memorial Space Flights. So I tracked down the link. It was actually, it was a video of a Celestis launch. And the link I put up is actually the uh, link to the Memorial Space Flights launch mass manifest where they list missions as well as upcoming missions. And it's, it's really interesting, uh, these Memorial missions, as they describe them on the page, actually they take the ashes of your loved one or price, they launch them into suborbit, traveling about, oh, I forget what is it, uh, five to 11 uh, minutes, I guess. I don't remember. Um, they actually have a page here where it's. Uh, Did you click any of these No, actually they don't. Yeah, it's like you have the wonderful pleasure of being able to say you sent your loved one into space and they came home. What? <laughs> On average, it goes from uh, about $1,000 up to $2,000, depending on the 
accoutrements that you and the options that you add on to you your. You know what they got here? What? That I don't know for details. Read the article and you'll find out all the details. Um, but yeah, they, they basically, it goes up into orbit and comes back down, and all is well with the world. Uh, a lot of testimonials. A lot of testimonials. Well, there is that. <laughs> there is that. Look that. What? Okay, let's go back to. Those really rich people can't hear God. <laughs> That's true. That's true. In our related tech area, um, NASA has actually been holding a new. Um, they've been running an experiment for a while with astronaut dummies. Dummy astronauts, the ISS crew, is better protected from radiation than we thought. A decade-long experiment using human-like mannequins to address radiation absorption, both inside and outside the ISS, has concluded the human body is much better at protecting astronaut internal organs than previously thought. Now, they used U.S. technology monitored by U.S., Russian, Japanese, and European teams to conclude that previous radiation intake measures mainly dosimeters. Those are those little cards that uh, radiation workers wear by astronauts in their pockets or on their chest overstate the radiation exposure to internal organs. Now, as I understand a dosimeter, it's designed to register ambient radiation within the space that the worker is found. So if the worker, if the worker walks through the radiation plant or the astronaut. Yeah. So it it captures a certain amount of the radi- ambient radiation in the room or wherever they have to be. So I, I guess it would it, it it could make sense that it overstates what actually gets through the organ. But what's interesting about this is is that in the article they talk about just how much our skin and the, the layers of our skin actually protects our internal organs from this radiation. So I'm looking forward to new articles in the coming weeks and months where they actually process this this data and come out and give us some better understanding of just how much radiation we may actually receive between now and the landing on Mars. Next up. Okay, he did it. Those of you who have been listening to us will remember that when Felix Baumgartner went up into Suborbit. Well, actually, he didn't even make the suborbit. He got a little over 100,000 feet, jumped out on a skydive, and decided to uh, see how fast he could go. Beautiful thing is, he didn't go splat on the ground, which was great. But now we have a new record. Yeah, we have a new record. In a harrowing plunge to the stratosphere, Google executive broke the world record for the highest altitude skydive. Back on October 24th, Alan Eustace, senior VP at Google, hit supersonic speeds as he dropped 25 miles above New Mexico. Just as epic feat was orchestrated by Stratospheric Explorer team at the Paragon Space Development Corporation. Now, oops, I put the wrong link on. We'll have to go that way. Okay. Here we go. Here's the right link. I got them in reverse order. 
there it is. Okay. So that's the length of skydiver goes supersonic and record breaking near space dive. So many of you remember that about a month and a half ago, about six weeks ago, I commented, or maybe it was a month ago, two months ago. So when I covered uh, Mr. Baumgartner's jump, I talked about how very soon we would see additional skydivers doing the same thing and pushing the limit higher. And here we have Alan Eustace as one up Mr. Baumgartner. So I got to tell you, I'm willing to bet. Give us another six months, and we'll have another record break. I, you know, I I really think it is. And you know, very soon we're going to see guys in, in uh, special suits. They're going to start tailoring these suits. We're in oxygen masks. Super suits, maybe skin suits. You'd like that, wouldn't you? Hot young bucks, six packs, wearing skin tight suits, flying overhead. <laughs> All right. The other link that I put up a little bit early, folks, was five incredible tech NASA tech inventions you won't believe. Now, since 1958, when NASA was was formally engaged. It's had to invent a lot of things needed to make space missions possible, from protective suits to the mirrors and software used in the Hubble telescope. So this article presents about five of these wonderfully important inventions that they came up with in order to, uh, in our opportunities to participate section this tonight, where we've got some updates for you. Um, Mars Society, you know, I've talked about the Mars Society, and they have actually several programs that you can participate in. Flashline Mars Arctic Research Station on Devon Island, uh, outside of uh, Resolute and Nunavut, Canada. Uh, that's a Mars analog station created back in 2000. The Mars Desert Research Station is the second analog habitat established in San Rafael Swell in Utah. And you can actually, actually, I think the uh, applications for this year's season are closed. But check the website. Addition, um, they also have a um, Mars rover competition held in Utah. Again, another link that will eventually get you more information on that. Check that out. Also, the Mars Initiative uh, is a program to provide an online transparent fundraising menu for the Mars Vice Fund, which can be thought of as a public savings account for the first successful Mars mission. Now, this is a nice, I hope they ultimately connect with either Mars, uh, with Mars One or one of these other things that um, can actually make some progress in moving Mars. Now, the next thing we have up here is we're going to revisit Celestial Suds. We have talked about these guys a couple of times. Seven beers. No, nothing new. But I wanted to put these links back up, let people remind them about these things that they can do to enjoy and feel like they're participating. Um, here's a website for something that some people may not know about. There is a simulator called Orbiter. And you can actually download this thing. I uh, just put the link up for the website. And it is a free and realistic spaceflight simulation program for Windows PC. 
and set up with space games and assault your intelligence, violate every law of physics. Over there is a simulation that gives you an idea of what space flight really feels like today and in the not-so-distant future. And best of all, you can download it for free and play with it. So check that out. Uh, another thing to experiment with as time goes on. Uh, the Boy Scouts, many people don't know that the Boy Scouts of America actually has a um, Operation Merit Badge pamphlet where you actually, the Merit Badges and the Merit Badge program is targeted towards those tasks and skills related to exploring space. Check that out for additional information. Now, also, you know, getting involved. Virgin Galaxy Spaceship 2 will soon launch, we hope, into suborbital space or into the air things that are going through test flights. Um, and in at least one example out of the pages of seven books, thanks to a partnership between publisher and illustrated reference books. They give you this virgin, this little booklet that lets you punch out and fly your own copy of the Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2. So a couple of things we're going to look at today. I wanted to share with you as we get into our commentary section. We're going to take a break for just a few minutes and let you guys take a potty break. And I'm going to take a voice break and get a drink. And you know what? I may just steal one of her kids. John Hold. There. station identification. Oh, well. This is Taylor Radio. Welcome back to the next space show, the Valley Show. We spend our first hour usually talking about the news that's happened this week in manned space flight and uh, some interesting gems we've had this week and some exciting things happening with SpaceX, China, and, and also several other private space flight companies. And, you know, I, I ran across something this week. Uh, that somebody put on again. Somebody referred to it on space. Uh, excuse me, on Facebook. You know, it was a blast from the past, and, and quite honestly, I was barely two years old when this thing actually happened. But apparently, um, Kraft Foods held a contest um, sometime in 1959, and. They gave away, as a function of this contest, a spaceship simulator in 19... I remember in the 60s watching a lot of different things like uh, oh, Commander Cody and, oh man, uh, Rocketman TV series, Space Rangers, Space Cadets, Junior Space Man, as well as we had the Junior G-Man and all these other cool things that kids could do 
back in the day. And you had handshakes, you had secret rings, and you had decoders, and you had messages, and all this stuff was tied into cereal boxes and and TV shows and radio shows. And you know, I, if you weren't involved, you just weren't in the in crowd of kids in those days. I have glasses. You have a glass. Yeah, I drink glasses all day. Provide some more details. I got it at the gas station. An Apollo 13 glass from a gas station. Oh, okay. A commemorative glass that was, well, the Texaco is one of the big ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, eh? You know, this, this was the thing. I had a couple of them. The king of merchandise, their Happy Meal does everything today. I mean, you hear these things, but I'll tell you what, you know, I've seen some of these things, and some of them are pretty cheap, but for the most part, they're, they're engaging for kids for about You know, I mean, I, I've seen kids leave them sitting on the table, but the idea is, is that Kraft Foods back in the, in the day uh, did this thing, and they actually delivered. The article talks about this thing it's being big enough to hold four kids in its day. And chances are it's probably just a, a wood construction thing. This thing probably cost several thousand dollars to build and uh, and put it up. Um, and actually, there's a news article, photograph, a news article. The winner of this flight simulator was a girl from St. Louis, Missouri. And you could they could sit behind their own control panel, twist the knobs, push the buttons while they watch the movie projected from you know, strong. And now, as as our young winner got older, she donated to her elementary school before it was moved to the lawn of the Missouri Department of Mental Health. And according to the book Space Patrol by Jean Noel Bossier, they but the simulator didn't survive for too long after that. Uh, keep in mind that in the late 50s and early 60s, this was the time of the Cold War, and uh, some thought the look of a giant rocket gave a bad impression in front of a professional building. And it appeared to some people more like a ballistic missile than an astronaut's vessel or space fairing. So the hospital administration staff had the simulator destroyed sometime between the late 60s and early 70s. Sadly, they chose to destroy it rather than create a plaque, put a small building around it. You know, there were all sorts of alternatives that they could have done. But I guess more than likely it was more about the uh, potential for they wanted to do it rather than the cost of maintenance for such things. But the whole point of tonight's commentary has to do with public involvement. Now, this particular whole, the, the whole costume, uh, or I'm sorry, the whole content that was done here. Um, I was trying to find out when it actually began and when it actually ended. Um, they don't actually say, and that's, that's what I find intriguing about this, but um, entries must be postmarked no later than October 31st, 1959, and received not later than November 1959, to be eligible for prizes. 
Now, if the winner prefers, they can take 5,000 cash. Draft will donate the training spaceship to recognize organization of the winner's community. So, you know, they, they this was just cool. And I have to admit that the imagination of today's companies doesn't include stuff like this. And probably because it's just flat too big. But one of the things that I have been a strong proponent of for some time, do not incorporate anything to get the public involved. Yeah, you've got these contests to build your own movements. You've got contests to do rovers, and these are great for high schools. And it's great to, to engage the kids. But one of the things that we have today that we didn't have back in the 50s and 60s and, and to a certain degree in the early 70s, you didn't have adults or seniors who are just as interested in getting stuff into space as kids are. So they uh, hands-on activity would give them and their imaginations as uh, kids are want to do will just literally explode given the type of this could be. But there was a, there's been a loss. We have lost our way by not engaging people. Guy on the street and understanding what's cool about space. Yeah, we've seen Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar. Gosh, what else? Babylon 5. And we're all fans of various different aspects of science fiction. But one of the things that I think we miss, and I know that NASA and their engineers seem to miss, or at least the PR company is missing, and that is getting involved with private companies out there. And I think SpaceX isn't at the point where they can do this either. And that is, maybe you couldn't build a whole simulator, though these guys built one for five grand in a day. But of course, given inflation and all the other crap that goes along, I imagine it would be way more than $5,000 these days. Because I know some people are out there on the internet building tiny homes for twenty dollars and $30,000, and it's barely big enough to hold two people. Imagine a flight simulator based on either the Dragon or the CST-100 or, hell, even the Soyuz or the or even the, the uh, Virgin. I could imagine various different simulators going around the country touring for all of these companies, capturing the imagination of people, of kids who could get in climb in, walk through, sit down, take a simulated flight. But what do you think about that idea? Virgin and, and, and SpaceX, build a mock-up thing and take it on the road. I suggest such an idea. Get a couple of, you know, people. We'll get some sponsors. Yeah. And all oh, pitch you in. Know, they can't because you know what? They, they can make it happen. They can't. Who, Kraft or SpaceX? Yeah. 
one thing. Man, that'd be so fun. <laughs> you know, I, I could see a 50 a city. Could you, could you see a 50 city tour Hi, of see? the space, of new space? This is the way to get, you know, the people involved. Yeah. And go out and see them, you know. I mean, yeah. you could make it out of freaking cardboard and and plywood, and then paint it and and put a little flat screen TV up there for the monitors, like we saw what he showed in his unveiling of the Dragon V2, uh, the CST100. They they have an idea what. Looks like they can make it look like that and allow people to go in, sit down, and experience what it feels like to get into the capsules. Absolutely. You know, this is the kind of thing. If, so when we saw it on, on video, thing, it's totally different than Absolutely. Absolutely. If you want to come and get involved, you got to watch where they are. Yeah. Otherwise, they feel disconnected. Right. The reason why it works out is because they put all these merchandising out. And the reason why sure. they did that was to make the common man feel like they have to be Right. They're paying for it. Yes. Make it happen. <laughs> Definitely something that, that I think we both agree that, that should happen. They yeah. really, and and you know, it really is true. That something like this doesn't have to be a huge, expensive. Oh, you know, obviously they could do something really cool. Maybe just out in Las Vegas, they did the uh, where you got into the Star Trek. Well, yeah. Yeah. But even then, you know, we we walked through that thing one day. You know, we were we were up there. We got to walk through the tail end of it. It's already closed down. But but here's the thing: you get something like this well, that's interactive. Yeah. But I truly believe that something like a real spaceship simulator, something that that lets kids get in, get get hands-on thing. I mean, you could the the Dragon V2 and the CSP100 are designed for seven. Yeah, they're using. They're going to say they can simulate something. Sure. You know what? We actually have we actually have some friends in the valley. That actually have a Starfleet Starfleet Bridge program. You remember me telling you about that? You, you actually set up up to seven or eight different stations, all networked to a single computer. It's a, it's basically you download the program, you set it up, a small donation. You know that was a kicking thing. I bet they can come up with something use from this and let these guys, these kids, to um, have a ball. And I, I can imagine that the amount of uh, uh, things. Nobody has anything to say about this. I mean, come on, people. <laughs> we got to say it all. Come on. Oh, of course. Public relations. One thing I've said before is that space advocacy groups don't do what needs to be done. Um is one thing, but space advocacy groups are as old as almost as old as NASA, and yet the amount of work that they actually do, in my experience, and I haven't been exposed to all of them, is severely limited, and most of it is outdated. 
we need to update not only the space advocacy activity, but we need to update things so that support groups are actually doing things. Kudos out to Planetary Society because their group actually launches missions into space, which is awesome. But what we need are ways to bring the broader range of people into the fold so that they understand more of what's going on. We can't do this by simply putting stuff out there as public service messages. We need to, as a community, as new space, go out and get things in front of the public eye, whether it be at museums, challenger centers, or wherever else we can get this stuff out there. Surely we can find people to build simulators, Falcon, uh, or I'm sorry, simulators of the Orion, simulators of the Dragon, Soyuz. I mean, I think it would be cool to have a semi-trailer with a set of all four of these. Soyuz, the um, the Dragon, CSD-100, Soyuz, the Freeman Tree. Maybe who knows? Maybe somebody could come up with a simulator for the uh, ten thousand. These are the four manned spacecraft. That would be cool. And it would be interesting to see the differences all in one day semi-trailer. Sandra Bullock? Yeah. Okay, that was gravity. Right, and the cool thing about it is that they actually realize this, that there are other ships up there. Uh-huh. Yeah, go to. Well, Sandy. yeah. Or it's insane. Kind of stuff will kind of play. Well, the general yeah. idea is where they did the polls. Yeah, it's the point of what they Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's a big company. 
So anyway, check out the website, guys. Check out the article. Um, it's it's a great look back at how somebody felt we needed to look at doing things um, to get people's interest. Well, sure. And you know, I, I look. They mentioned in the article Hammond Spaceman. I took a look at this thing, and this thing is freaking detailed. It's huge. Um, not only that. But all this stuff about Kit Man series, the cadets, Rangers, Junior Spacemen, these were things that they were inspiring. They were really kicking stuff that people love. And so, you know, yeah, this is this is some major stuff. And I think we need to do something in the same vein today. And let's see what we can come up with. I'm sure that with today's uh, printing, 3D printing and all these different things that we can do now today, it ought to be a piece of cake to pull off some of the uh, things that we want to do to inspire kids and adults to... Um, to uh, to be inspired. On that note, we're going to close this week's session of the Next Space Program and wish you all a very pleasant weekend. Um, be bad. No, be safe. Be bad. And be good at it. <laughs> be safe. Be bad. But be good at it. There you go. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week, folks. Have a great weekend.